Does your current premium finance company lock you into long-term agreements? That's because they don't want you talking to us. At IFS, we win your business the good old-fashioned way, with customer service. I know you don't always have to use a premium finance company, but when you do, you should use IFS. Cheers. Hi there. Welcome to another episode of the Digital Insurance Podcast, and this is another episode in our M&A series. I'm your host, Tom Reed. I'm joined today by my colleague, Jeff Roy, CEO of Excalibur Insurance. Uh, unfortunately, Steve and Adam are not able to join us today. They're off in various parts of uh, Boonie land without any connection, so they're here in spirit. Very pleased today to be welcoming Jamie Reed. Jamie is the Senior VP of Corporate Development for Westland. Jamie, how's it going? Hey, great. How are you guys doing? Very well, thank you. So, Jamie, let, let's get started. Before we dive into our, our list of questions here, why don't we start off with you? Uh, why don't you give us a quick background of yourself and tell us how you came to be uh, working in a senior role at Westland? Sure. Yeah, happy to. Uh, I've been with Westland now for um, a little more than a year and a half. Uh, came in as part of an acquisition like you know, an awful lot of people here at, here at Westland have. Uh, my brokerage was the Storm Insurance Group, which included AP Reed, Zipshore, and a couple of other brands. And you know, we were um, they were building a pretty exciting brokerage across the country, and I guess got noticed by Westland. It would be a, a good way of saying it. Uh, and then was uh, approached by uh, Jason Wubbs, our CEO, and, and Jamie, our president, and reached out and talked about how you know, hey, maybe you'd be interested in coming along and being part of this rest Westland ride. Of course, at first it's well, no, we're not for sale. I'm not ready for that. And but then, you know, the more I got to know them, the more I heard the story, uh, you know, it started to resonate that, you know, really becoming part of this organization, you know, wasn't the same. You know, it wasn't giving up or being ready to sell or any of that. It was really, hey, how do I take what we're doing, take it to the next level and really put that put that plan on, on steroids for myself and for our team. And, and that's really what's happened. So a year and a half in, um, it's been an exciting ride. I'm fortunate that, you know, most of my role is in the M&A space. So I get to meet with brokers across the country, talk about, you know, what Westland is doing, how they can join. Um, and it's, it's a really exciting, uh, exciting role. Enjoying it a lot. It sounds like you bring a perspective to prospective acquisitions that, you know, some folks might not have being, have obviously gone through that process yourself. I think, yeah, like I grew up in the business. I don't, um, so my mom started my brokerage, AP Reed, and, you know, I started working there through school, you know, eight, nine years old, going there after school as a babysitter, that kind of thing. So I really, you know, grew up, you know, grew up in insurance. And other than a short stint at a computer company and McDonald's, it really was my first, you know, real job uh, and and built and, and grew into that business. And we did at our brokerage a handful of uh, acquisitions and, and uh, you know, had that perspective from both sides as a buyer before becoming a seller and then then became a seller. So now working as a buyer again, I've got that perspective of, you know, formerly being a buyer and then also also being a seller uh, coming through it. So let's talk sure. about Westland. Can you give us a quick background on Westland? Where did Westland come from and where are you guys going? Uh, story begins in 1980 with uh, Jeff Wobb Sr., who um, at the time worked for the Continental Insurance Company. And he was ever progressing in, you know, in various leadership roles through the company out west and had you know, brought the family there, settled in and, you know, really developed uh, quite a life for themselves when got the nod for a promotion. And that promotion would have moved them 
you know, back to Ontario. And at that time, like I said, you know, well-rooted in the community, kids in sports, going to school, decided, you know, that, that really wasn't for, that really wasn't for them. So quit the job, left the company side and then bought his first, uh, his first brokerage in Ladner, BC. Uh, and that was in, that was in 1980. And, you know, since then, as I say, the rest is history, but uh, since then, obviously, you know, significant growth, multiple acquisitions, special programs, like the kind of things that, have, that Westland has built have been have been pretty uh, exciting and impressive. But the, the main thing is, is that Jeff wanted to build the kind of business where people wanted to come to work and build their careers and be part of that community and be supported. Um, you know, he really felt that you spend most of your waking hours at work and that place of business should really be somewhere that you're you're happy to be like that's. That was just an important base base model. And really today, we, we believe that no matter what business cycle we're in as a hard market, soft market, whatever our plans are, if the employees are engaged, if they're happy to be there, if they're part of the plan, then we're really halfway there and we're far more likely to achieve really anything that we that we set our mind to by doing that. And that was that was really set, you know, set up with Jeff in the early days um, today. The, the company is still the majority shareholder is, you know, remains the Wubbs family and uh, led by our CEO, Jason Wubbs. And that's a uh, second generation uh, CEO, second generation family uh, leading and growing the business today. What Westland has built, what the Wubbs family has done is, is quite impressive. But yet when you meet them, it's like humble and accessible and, and very true to the roots uh, of, of you know, who they are and where they come from. And, you know, that's certainly you know, resonated big time with me uh, in, in terms of joining the business and lots of other brokers I've talked to, uh, same thing. That's kind of where they're from, you know, where, where we're going, um, you know, rapid growth nationally, uh, you know, big, big, big in the West, still maybe relatively new, new in the East, but, but, but quite significant across the country today, around 2,500 employees, 200 plus locations, trading around two and a half billion in premium, into the marketplace. So it's a it's quite a significant operation, definitely one of Canada's largest and certainly unique in that it's Canadian family owned and independent at being that size. And that's a, a really unique, um, a unique thing about Westland that, that we're there and have, have achieved that. That's great. Good intro on the, the Westland. And again, the, I think most brokers have seen the name quite regularly in insurance news with all the acquisitions of the last number of years. So uh, let's flip things over. Uh, why should a broker sell to Westland? What's your elevator pitch? And aside from money, what value does Westland bring? You talked about the great culture uh, uh, earlier on. What? Uh, give us your pitch, Jamie. Well, you get to work with me. That's part of it, right? So that's a, that's a good part of the pitch. But and, and maybe that's worked once or twice. Probably not. But really, like you know, the, the money is important, of course. So I, you know, I know you said other than money, but it's hard to discount that that it's that it's important. But without talking about the valuation of money, there's also the certainty of money, which is which is good. So like anybody can put a number on a piece of paper, but you know, one one of the reasons to work with Westland, one of the things we care very you know, deeply about and work really hard on is deal certainty. And we want to know that we've got a, a good vendor friendly process so that, you know, whoever's selling their brokerage, we want to know that you're comfortable with the process. You can work through it. And when we say something, we mean it. So it's, it's upfront and fair and, and clear. Like there's, you know, our offers are a couple pages long, not 50 pages long, like base, you know, we, we try to get it out there and spell out what's important. Um, so that's still kind of related to the money in that, 
the certainty is there and so on. Uh, we can talk about the capabilities of the business and, you know, I could throw up a dozen spreadsheets or a bunch of PowerPoints about the markets that we have and capabilities and, and all of that. And we could, we could really go down that, down that road. Um, and at any time, anytime happy to, but, you know, just suffice it to say that, you know, that the trading partners we have are extremely supportive of what we do. Um, we're able to bring an awful lot to, the brokerages, the employees, the customers uh, that take part. And for me, I worded it that Westland is real, like it feels real. The, the people are real. The story is real. They're, they're real brokers, the, the senior management, the owners, the family, um, the relationships, the plan. It's all it's like a real broker, like what I was building, like what you're building, Jeff, like people, we, you know, people, we know what they're doing. And that that was that was really important to me. And then. The, the mission of, uh, of becoming Canada's favorite insurance brokerage, that mission to be a truly national Canadian business from coast to coast, all lines of business, communities, you know, far and wide, to be part of that build, to be part of that story, um, that's pretty friggin' cool, right? To, to be able to, to dive in and, you know, put your hands on that and say, yeah, I put my stamp on that story. This is, this is who we are. What I built on the way in is part of that legacy, and now I'm continuing. Now I'm continuing to do that. Um, that's pretty exciting. It's not just, you know, selling a business, getting the best money you can, and walking away. But it's 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 pulling, you know, moving into that or or building into that story um, along with what you've been doing as your legacy, and then what you could do um, after the fact. Uh, you know, if if you decided to sell, what you could do after the fact with that. So. Um... Jamie, you likely have a list of candidates you're talking to or want to talk to. Is there, is there a way you can describe who your target acquisition partner is? Is it a certain size, ge geography? What, what, what's the ideal candidate look like to you? Yeah, I wish it was that easy. Um, like, but I could write up a, a simple definition of, hey, here's, here's a broker in a box and this is what we'd like to buy. And, and you know what? They're super profitable and they're growing. And, they, you know, yeah, all, all, of course, right? obviously. But it's not that simple, like because we're building a very diverse brokerage across the country, that diversity is celebrated. So we're we're really looking for variety as much as we're looking for anything specific. Um, so there's there's lots of opportunities for a purely personal lines brokerage that, um, you know, supports the community, rural area, whatever it is, you know, to come in and be, be part of the story or on the whole other end of the spectrum, large specialty commercial. The one thing I think they have all have in common is focus on like its culture. So you know, if you think about the breakdown of the business, you know, they might all be different, but what we really want is a culture of exceptional customer service and a culture of um, competitiveness and supporting communities and, you know, that, that kind of thing. And when, when quality and experience and training, when that, when that culture comes with a brokerage, then it, it ties in well with, with the Westland culture. And that's probably more important than, size or more important than geographic location or, or mix of business uh, where all, all of those other factors, you know, there's, there's room for them as, you know, as long as that, that culture fit is there where, where we can um, uh, find that meeting of the minds on, on how to grow a business together. We're the digital insurance point. Does a broker with strong digital strategy get a higher valuation in the Westland world? The way we look at it is when we, when we're fortunate enough to look at an opportunity where that we have that, 
that strong digital um, strategy or tools maybe that have been built or or whatever it is. Um, you know, we really look at how how can we use it you know to our to our advantage. Uh, so, for example, like I know lots of brokers, lots of insure techs um, who have some pretty exciting and you know some pretty exciting and successful strategies today, digital tools, stuff that they've built that they're that they're running. And for Westland, you know, definitely it's exciting. What we need to look at for valuation is. How, how do we adapt it or, or build it into what we're doing? How scalable is it for the type of operation that we're running? Is there something there as a, as a nugget that we can really grab onto and, 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 and use for Westland strategy? And if so, then absolutely, there's a, there's a lift there, um, especially if when we look at it, we see a way to, you know, to work it. But what's even more so than the, the strategy itself or the tool itself or the program itself is the people that built it. That's really where the value is. So when when we look at a brokerage that's that's done something really cool and built a lot of success based on that, the value there is the people that built it more than anything else. Because those people, if they join Westland, are going to become part of the ecosystem that's building what Westland's doing. And that value is extremely exciting to us and attractive to us. And that's really what I think would translate its way into valuations when we're looking at an opportunity like that is certainly the, the, the strategy or the tool itself, but the, the people that built it and how they can take what they've learned, take the experiences that they've had, and then help us build and, and keep growing to the next level. This may be a slam dunk question for you, seeing as you are a former owner and you have in fact stuck around. Um, is the Westland strategy in general to have the former owner stick around or what? how does... What's your thought process around that? Yeah, when when that's part of an owner's plan, so when, when an owner wants to stick around, we're so fortunate and lucky to have it happen. Like we we look at it as that that's that's a, that's an amazing opportunity for us to tap into that knowledge base um, because just the experience collectively. You look across Westland, there's dozens of former owners that are occupying, you know, various senior roles across the company. And, and what they bring to Westland is just amazing, right? That, that experience, that knowledge, the relationships with insurance companies, uh, relationships with their key accounts and their staff. And, you know, all of that is, is amazing. So when, when we're fortunate enough to have that, we celebrate it, we ex we're, we're excited by it and we, and we promote it. Um, but that's not to discount, or, or in any way, somebody who, is, who has built a business and they plan to sell it and retire. And that's great. Like if they've done that, kudos to them and congratulations to them. In those circumstances, if you know, the remainder of the business fits with the culture and those kinds of things that we're, that we're looking, then, then we, we find a way to help them do that. That's what's is great. We're we, we enjoy retiring these former owners and, and watching them succeed in their goal every bit as much as, as we do you know, bringing former owners into the team to help us build. So that's, that's exciting to be part of as well and, and help somebody do that. But yeah, absolutely. When, when somebody wants to stay and be part of that, we're, we're building up a major national organization and that needs talent. Like we're, we're hungry for talent and good people are hard to find. So brokers are good people. And when, when they, when they want to stay and be part of this, this is, it's, it's amazing for us. So we're, you know, we're all, we're all for it. The plan, now that you've bought all these brokerages, 
Is it like a melting pot where you ha- you're trying to focus on just keeping the Westland name, or do the broker get to keep their original name? What's your strategy, or how is Westland handling that? At the end of the day, like we strongly believe in the strength and value of the Westland brand. Like we you know we believe in it, and we know that it's a strong brand. The brand values behind it, the pillars, the mission, like all of that. We're you know, we, we definitely have drank the Kool-Aid, right? Like we believe in the Westland brand and there's, you know, hundreds of people across the country working hard every day to promote and grow and build that brand. So there's that, whether that's the social media team and the websites and advertising community events, and you know, we have hundreds of community events that we sponsor across the country in the run of a year, like all, all of those types of things um, is developing that brand. Um, and, Collectively, as a group, we're far, far more effective and efficient building that brand than we are trying to build dozens, dozens and dozens of individual brands, right? Where whether one brand is stronger, you know, better, does it have a prettier logo? Like, you know, we can all have all those arguments we want. But at the end of the day, building one, building one brand is, is going to be more efficient for everybody that's, that's there. And so, you know, so we think that 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 one brand is is the strong strategy, but there's, always, there's exceptions to every rule. So there's always going to be these examples where, you know, maybe we, we have to do some kind of mixing and matching or whatever because of something, because of something specialty, those will, those will come up. Great. So uh, we've talked a little bit about owners and so on. What's in it for the employees of the business that's been acquired? My goal or what I, what I would hype, hope to see as part of the M&A team and, you know, our Westland's goal is that when an employee hears that their brokerage is joining Westland and that happens, you know, we're on target maybe for 30 or so this year. So when that when that happens and that that employee hears that their brokerage is joining Westland, you know, our, our hope is that all of those, you know, little fears or anxieties or whatever that, you know, we're, we kind of expect probably happen that instead they're excited by it. When I introduced it to my team, um, at first, obviously, all of those, well, what does that mean for us? What's going to happen? Am I going to keep my job? And, you know, all those types of concerns that people have that are, you know, fully understandable, right? Especially with when you see what happens in other industries with, with acquisitions. Um, but it didn't take long to, to tell them, no, look, like, we Westland needs people. Like, the last thing we're going to do is come in and this is, you guys are great talent. Like this is, this is amazing. This is the main thing that, that they want is, is all of this talent. So that you're, you're protected. You're going to be, you're going to be in good shape. Um, and then let's talk about the benefits. Let's talk about the, the opportunities for advancement that, you know, we, we were doing pretty good as a brokerage with our growth, but take all that and multiply it by 10, what's available or 20, what's available as part of an organization like Westland for, for those employees for, for growth. We've got, we have folks that have moved across the country and you know taken transfers. So job listings are on our website all the time. You know, maybe I live in Nova Scotia. I see a job opportunity in Ontario. I'd like to move, go apply and, and take it. And we've seen lots of advancements like that uh, come through. So that's, you know, that that, that type of thing is, is, is pretty exciting for employees. Um, our hope is, is that there's a home for everybody. Right. Lots of room at the bar, kind of like I said, like, you know, our hope is that when when these employees get introduced to Westland, that they find their they find their home. You know, some roles might change, of course, different organizations, different systems and all those kinds of things. But 
good people always have a home. Ambitious people are always going to find success. So we give them that platform. We, we give them that opportunity and, and really hope that they, that they take it and, and succeed with us. Hey, loyal listeners, when you hear me say CAS certified, that means that we use them in our agency. Are you a local insurance agent looking to take your business to the next level? Write more business and see your agency succeed with NBS, aka Nationwide Brokerage Solutions. But like in today's world, we use these initials like it's cool because it is. It's hip. At Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, they offer the challenges local agents face in the constantly changing market. That's why they offer a wide array of personal and commercial markets and policy options to help you meet the needs of your customers, no matter how unique they may be. With a team of experienced and dedicated professionals that provide you with the support and the guidance you need to see your agency succeed. Nationwide Brokerage Solutions is here to support you every step of the way. Don't you survive in the competitive insurance industry? Thrive with Nationwide Brokerage Solutions today. Get started today and learn more at mbsbrokerage.com. That's where you learn more, mbsbrokerage.com. Cast certified. Now, what's in it for the carriers? I like to think that nobody loses. Right. In this in this game, um, you know, in this in this plan, what we're doing, I really don't think there's uh, there's any losers in this. And when I think about winners, I really try to think about the client winning. Right. Like that's that's the primary goal is what are we doing? So the client wins, because that's first and foremost. Right. Is our number one pillar is, you know, consistently exceptional client experience. Like how is that client winning? And that's supported by our other pillar of being a preferred partner of our of our insurance our insurance providers. And that partnership is how we make sure those clients win, where we work very closely uh, with our carriers, building those relationships. And it's not just simply, you know, the Westland relationship and then everybody is part of that, but all of the brokerages like myself and others that have joined Westland, they have their strong relationships with, with carriers. And collectively, all of those relationships build up into the, the massively strong relationship we have now with with really all of the top carriers uh, in the in the country um, so that what that relationship does is for our clients for our staff we know we matter to the insurance companies the the spoils of success that come with that size but how do we use it appropriately is is to is to build that partnership that's sustainable for us like we want sustainable, long-term, profitable growth. Obviously we want, you know, good CPCs and whatever else, but you know, it's, it's about, it's a bigger picture than that, that, that partnership that we need and the capacity and how we, how we trade into the market and, and have that reputation so we can get stuff done for our customers. So Jamie, let's, let's get into the uh, $64,000 question here. How, how, does Westland value a brokerage, right? We, we know some folks do it on EBITDA, some folks do it on top line or some other ones. So that's part one, how, how, do you, how do you do that? Part two is, in your opinion, where do you think multiples are going these days? Yeah, how do we value, what do you want? No, I'm just kidding. Um, but, <laughs> but, but honestly though, there's no, like there really isn't a magic formula that, that we use. Um, you know, we, we treat it really more of an art than a science. And, you know, there might, there might be a few that run it through a million spreadsheets and they've got, this is the, this is the way we do it. Um, 
you know, obviously we use spreadsheets and we're using math and we're not just completely making it up, but there's, there's really a bit, a bit more of an art to it. And we don't necessarily think about multiple of EBITDA versus multiple of, of revenue. We kind of look at, you know, you can kind of look at either. Um, and, and the reason is, is when we're, when we're buying a brokerage and really when anybody's buying any business, what you're buying is the, the, the future earnings of that business, right? So when, when we're looking at it, we're looking at what are the earnings and you can call it EBITDA, you can call it profit. It can be with it without tax and depreciation and, you know, whatever. It doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, it's the same thing, which is what's the, what's it going to make? What does it make? In some cases, what it makes is the salary to the owner, sometimes the owner and family members and, you know, that kind of thing. Sometimes it's buildings that the brokerage owns, like the profit looks like all kinds of different things. So when we're, when we're looking at it, we try to figure out, okay, what, what does this brokerage make or what can this brokerage make? And then we look at it over the next two, three, four, five years, if it becomes part of Westland, what can we do? What can we make with that brokerage? And does it have something unique, like I talked about earlier, for a special program that we can maybe grow nationally? The, the, the digital um, strategies, what do the leads look like? What does the retention look like? How sticky is that revenue? You know, all those kinds of things. Because what we're really looking at is those earnings. How reliable are they, number one? And how much can we grow them, number two? And then when we, when we get to the what we can grow them, then it's here we are, okay, how much of that can we share with the seller? And then that's that's kind of our, our next step is, you know, what do we think we're going to look like in a few years? What's it going to take us to, to do that? Because maybe, you know, we need to add markets and add support and hire salespeople. Who knows what we might need to do? But based on what we need to do to, to achieve whatever that goal is, then how much of that can we can we reasonably share with the with the seller? And that ends up, and the art of it is that, you know, it ends up with a, with a number usually at the end of the day, I guess, right? So let, let's say this, you know, the same brokerage on a normalized EBITDA basis was $10 last year, $10 this year, $10 next year. Do, do you see the industry paying more for that, flattening, going down? Because where, where obviously multiples, multiples have gone up over time. You know, that dollar yeah. value has gone up for the same underlying value. Do you, what do you see the trajectory? Is it going up, flat? down? Where, where do you think it's going? You know, what I, what I would look at and say is there's a lot going on right now in the world, right? So if you look at um, the volatility in the markets, the inflation, the interest rates, you know, possible pending recession, I would look at all of that and ask, you know, what, what, what do you think the odds are of those items improving a brokerage profitability versus hurting a brokerage profitability? Right. And that's that's really what the drive is going to be as to how much we're how much any buyer is willing to pay for that profit is going to be based on how much they think it's going to grow or shrink over a period of time. Um, and I'd look at it and, you know, my, my crystal ball, um, you know, I think that inflation um, more than most of the other items is likely going to increase the costs in a brokerage payroll and rent and systems and all of that. And it's likely going to increase loss ratios at a faster pace than insurers are able to increase premiums. You know, especially with the um, investment income likely rebound soon, and where they're making money on you know better bond portfolio, you know that kind of thing. So you know, potentially a bit of a softening market kind of happening at one time 
while you've got increasing costs kind of kind of at the other. And there could be a bit of a pivot there where brokerage profitability suffers. Um, so if if that's the you know, it, if that's the thesis that the brokerage profitability might have peaked or might go down, um, then I'd argue the multiple, whatever you're willing to pay for that profitability likely also peaked because of that, because of that dip. And then, you know, brokers in 23, 24, 25 might not do as well as they've done in 22 like that. It's a big might, um, you know, but that's on a macro level. Like I could, I could see that I could also be, you know, com completely wrong and inflation all of a sudden we're right back down to two or three percent. And then the, and then it creates the quick recession and the interest rates go down and right back to where we were two years ago. Right. Um, so that, you know, that, that could happen as well. Um, you know, it's easy to look at and say, yeah, it's probably the market's probably fully valued, right. Just to use some, some investment broker type terms, right. It's, you know, it's probably fully valued as a market um, with a bunch of risks on the horizon. Right. Uh, but I'm saying that as a guy that buys brokerages for a living, so of course. <laughs> if, if I could summarize your comments there, that it boils down to you should sell me your business today, right now, and don't worry about 23, 24, 25. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What, what can brokers do to make their business uh, worth more or uh, valued more if they sell it? You know, at, at the end of the day, you know, absolutely, it's the it's the earnings that that you're selling. So profit is, is important. Um, and, and I would say the most, the, you know, the biggest thing you could do is show that uh, value. Um, so whether that's growth or profit or a combination of both, but how do you show it? So when you're having a conversation with someone like me, like I'm helpful and we'll look at the numbers and we'll work it out together. Um, but come in, you know, come in prepared and know your value and help me understand your value because then, you know, my job is then take that and advocate and try to, you know, try to, try to get you what we can, uh, and, and, and try to make it happen. Um, so there's that always age old question, volume versus profit or growth versus profit, right? And there's that push pull, um, growth at the expense of profit, I wouldn't say is increases value because what happens is. Typically, when you see growth at the expense of profit, you wonder how sticky that growth is. So you're going to look at it and say, okay, great, I'm buying a bunch of growth, but the day after I buy it, is they're all going to walk right back out the door. So that's going to be a bit of a drag, right? So there's there's that. Profit at the expense of growth is, so you've got very little growth. Maybe you're shrinking, but you're extremely profitable. Then you're going to look at it and say, well, um, I'm buying an asset that's going to continue to depreciate and maybe we're not providing good enough service for the customers. Maybe after we buy it, we're going to have to make massive investments on systems and staff and real estate and, you know, whatever else. So that isn't necessarily a good story by itself either. Um, so the, the balance of both is nice when you've got, um, in, you've got consistent growth. So you're getting, you know, what, whatever that is year over year over year, and it's nice and consistent. And then the profit is sticking with it is also consistently growing uh, year over year. It's not extreme. If the EBITDA number is too high, then it's suspect. It's like, well, you know, maybe you're, you know, you're just not serving the customers well enough. But if it's too low, then it's, well, how much are we going to have to change after the fact to try to, to try to make sure that we're making some money on it? So that, that nice balance of, of the two is very important. Um, Obviously, when I say profit, I'm talking about operational profit, but CPCs 
aid that. So, you know, a brokerage can earn no CPC or they can earn 10, 15% of the revenue through CPC. That makes a big difference on the bottom line and anywhere in that spread. So that that can be a, a big part of it, that that, that that value is there. And for us looking at it, it's not just going to be the CPC as a number. It, it, it's part of it, but we're also going to look at it and say, well, how profitable are the insurer relationships? Are they good relationships that when this book becomes part of our book, are our companies going to celebrate it or are they going to, you know, maybe have some questions about it and we might have to, you know, work on the relationships. So that's seeing good CPCs and good numbers is not just about the, what it does to earnings. It's also what it does to the relationships with the carriers and, and how that helps our overall mission of being, being that preferred partner. Um, but a big thing there, not to discount, because we're talking, you know, it's not just spreadsheets. It's not just statements. It's people. And like I mentioned earlier, that very good people are very hard to find. And we have a shrinking talent pool. We have retiring brokerage owners. We have, you know, all kinds of things happening. We have retiring, retiring senior leaders. Carriers have folks that are leaving and retiring. And they have then gigantic black holes that need to find talent. And they pull it out of the broker pool. And, you know, all of that is happening. So a, a big part of this, the, the, the story, when you're putting together a story as to why your business is worth more, is the people as well. That's a, a huge part of the story. Who are your senior people? Who are you? Are you part of that story? All of that um, can can do as much to improve the brokerage value as as the numbers can, because the numbers we can work on, but the the, the people are, are who's going to work on it. So let me let me dig into one <clears throat> specific aspect of valuation here, Jamie. Talking about uh, mix of business. So from the Westland perspective, do you is is there any difference in valuation between a broker that might be you know, heavy into commercial lines versus a broker who's heavy into personal lines. Yeah, and I, and I wouldn't say purely on that on that pivot point alone um, that you know a personal lines broker could get just as much of a valuation as a commercial lines broker, or vice versa. Um, I think typically commercial lines brokers would would achieve higher valuations in the marketplace. That just seems to be the common you know anecdotal you know experience. Um, but when you drill into it broker by broker, it's usually not as simple as commercial versus personal. It, it gets down more to the other things that we talked about, like sticky revenue and, and that kind of thing. Um, especially when there's uh, something unique about the brokerage that they do, that's really where the, 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 the valuations, you know, kind of get a little stronger is, are there, are there special programs or some unique capability or something exclusive that gives that broker a real strategic advantage, that revenue is that much more sticky, that much more reliable, and that much easier for an acquirer like us to grow and scale nationally. And that's gonna really impact um, like evaluation more than just purely percentage personal lines or commercial lines. I think I think if we look at it just simply personal lines, commercial lines, we're taking you know too macro of a view and trying to paint a broad brush. But if we drill down into uh, this is a commercial lines broker and they got these dozen special programs and hey, look, they fit nicely with some programs we have and we're going to roll them out now. Okay, that's 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 some nice value. But maybe a personal lines broker has some groups that they've got good opportunities to expand. They're local, but the endorsement is national or regional. So we can we can add some fuel to that to that fire that they've started. Um, then that's going to be that's going to be really strong. Um so a commercial broker or a personal broker on either side 
could be could maybe doesn't have any of that, which would, could be a little bit lower. But if they've got some of that, then that that drives it more. Plus all of the other things that we talked about, like just generally the growth and the value and the profitability of the book. Um, I, I think if I lined up our last 30 deals or whatever and tried to decipher personal lines versus commercial lines, I doubt I'd really see a valuation pattern where I'd see it as more on all these other things that that, that drive it, uh, that, that give it something special that we can really, that we can really, ex, you know, expand on or, or try to develop. I wanted to see your Westland's position for people that have a rofer or right of first refusal in place. If somebody's got that, does that make you back off? Uh, does it diminish the value of the brokerage? How do you guys treat people that have a rofer in place? You know, the, the way I've looked at rofers and from, from what experiences that I've had talking to, to those that hold them and those that have them, um, you know, I know some carriers, uh, you know, one, one in particular who I know really well, who I've done a lot of business with over the years, who made it very clear to me that, look, you know, we do have rofers from time to time. And, you know, when we do, it's purely to protect what we have. Like we've got a financing arrangement or a book or, you know, whatever we've done. And that rofer is there purely to protect that. Um, but at the end of the day, that rofer is not intended in any way to get in the way of entrepreneurial activity. It's not intended to stop brokers from being brokers. It's not intended to drive activity or actions in any one direction. It's there simply to protect, you know, to protect the business, right? It's for a financing vehicle and that's all it is. When I, when we see that, I don't see any reason to expect that whoever holds that rofer to get in the way of, us doing a deal with with the broker. So we, we talk with the broker, they've got that. I don't see any reason to expect that that partner or whoever it is that has that rofer to, to get in the way of our conversations, to, to do anything. So I don't see any reason why we wouldn't go down that road and, and work with that broker to, to do it, right? So in those scenarios, um, there's others where a rofer is done very specifically with the intention to eventually buy that brokerage. And it's pretty clear that that's the plan. Maybe it's explicit, maybe it's implicit, but it's but it's pretty clear. Um, when that's the case, there's a relationship there and a bit of an expectation that party A intends to buy party B, and party B probably intended to sell to party A when they when they signed the rover. When that type of rover exists and that's the relationship that exists with it, then just like I don't expect in the first example that you know, that partner would stick their nose into our business and try to prevent it from happening because they know we respect them and they know we're going to take care of them. Um, I don't see why we would, you know, likely want to stick our nose in and try to get in the middle of that business where there's a relationship that was created at some point in time that, that really was intended to consummate in a sale. Last thing that uh, we want to ask you is, well, what what is what does the end look like for Westland? Is is there an end game um, that are you know is in the head of the of the various owners of the firm? Where where where's Westland going at the ultimate end of the the road here? There's no pure end game like that. It's not a hockey game that's over in 60 minutes and that's it. Like it's it's business. It's ongoing, and the game. You know, that the plan that, that they would have had a few years ago looks totally different than it does today. And in a few years from now, I'm sure it'll, it'll, it'll continue to evolve and, and look different again. Um, but the plan today is to become Canada's favorite insurance brokerage. And that, that means developing the business we're developing and growing it coast to coast, 
communities all over the coast to coast to coast, really, I would say, but communities all over, all over the country in every region, um, all lines of business. So that's personal lines, obviously commercial specialty, our, you know, corporate risk advisory business benefits now that we've, you know, recently um, gone bigger into and life. So that those areas, that's, that's a big part of that business is, is, is building that business across the country that, that is in all of these areas. Um, and really doing that in, in a way to be, you know, relevant and significant as a player when trading with the insurers who of course are going to keep getting larger and, and all of that, but, but being, being relevant for, you know, many years, five, 10, 20 years to come as that, that player that, that, that really is that relevant Canadian-owned, independent, pure um, type of operation that's super unique today in Canada at this size, um, but be relevant and we do it. And relevant on a national scale and, you know, potentially from there it becomes that relevance on a national scale becomes relevance on a, on a global scale where we're known in these insurance markets in Europe and, and elsewhere to, to support what we're doing. Um, so I wouldn't say there's no, there's, there's an end game in, in that sense, but it's more, you, you can kind of see it when you, when you step back and imagine what it, what it looks like in, in five or 10 years. But when we get there, I don't think we're going to sit back and say, okay, we did it. Right. I think it's going to continue to, to roll into the, the next and the next and the next. There's no finish line. We'll do a quick shout out to our sponsors, IFS Premium Finance, the crew group, Garrison's Brewery and our charity partner, Wick. Thank you guys for all you do for us. Is retention important to your brokerage? Of course it is. That's why at IFS, we have a cancellation prevention process. Want more details? Give us a call. I know you don't always use a premium finance company, but when you do, you should use IFS. Cheers. Hello, loyal listeners. Hey, are you a local agent struggling to find markets for your client? Maybe you, maybe not. Look no further than Nation Brokerage Solutions. With over 200 carriers, their comprehensive options give you what you need for your customers' ever-changing needs. With NBS, as they say it in the cool world, you can confidently offer a wide range of options to better support your customers and grow your business, A.K. agency. Don't settle for less. Do more with NBS. For more information about nationwide brokerage solutions, visit nbsbrokerage.com. Cast certified. <laughs> 